0: Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number three. Last week we talked about what kind of book the Bible is and how it was written. In this episode. I asked some follow-up questions to Brian about this topic, such as when does the Holy Spirit begin and the author end? Do we need to understand more than just the Bible to truly understand what the Bible is saying? And how do we know that what we have is the Bible God intended for us to have? We also chat a little bit about the manuscripts that have been found that highlight the consistency of Scripture through the past 2,000 years. As we mentioned in the second episode, having a firm understanding and grasp of Scripture and its authority is key to growing and developing your faith. We hope this conversation helps you on your journey. And also, just as a side note, we recorded this episode before we settled on a name for the podcast, so you'll hear us banter about that for just a few minutes at the beginning. But don't worry, we get to the good stuff pretty quick. Anyway, let's jump right in. Well, welcome back. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And this is our podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was waiting to see what you were gonna say. <laughs> I know. Could be we anything. Don't a, we don't have a name we're, we're, for it. We're yet. workshopping the name. What was it? Ryan and Brian Talk the Bible. Was that one of
1: them? That's what you that's what you said.
0: Mm, I think that's what you okay. Anyway, that's a that's a workshop. That's a I workshop. thought the
1: Ryan and Brian was cute.
0: Well, if if people could see us, they would say that is a cute. Those are cute guys. Those are cute guys bringing the heat on the Bible. Anyway, so hey Brian, so we talked about the Bible last time, Pardon? inspiration what it is, and all that stuff, and I'll be honest, um I got some questions for you today. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to push you. I'm going to make you answer some questions. You ready okay. for it? This is, this so. isn't That's this great. isn't going to be a speed round or anything. It's just okay. some questions that others out there might have. All right. So, we talked about inspiration. You know, right. and, and that's how we got the Bible. And so I guess my question is, is how does that work with the authors? Like where do the authors right. begin and end and where is it the Holy Spirit? I mean, do, do we have an idea of what that, how that works or what that looks
1: like? Yeah, that's a good, good question. Um, just a reminder. So any, there's lots of definitions of inspiration. When I'm, ta- I'm talking here about Christian inspiration, the idea of, of in Christian theology that the bible is inspired in a particular way no matter what your definition of is it, of inspiration is there's always two elements i say that that have to go into it one part is the holy spirit and one part is human authors i think one of the unique things about a uh, christian view of inspiration is we believe in that both of those are acting Persons in this process that inspiration is is an interface, if you will, or I, I don't know, an intersection between the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of, of human authors. In a minute, maybe I'll just talk about some other views regarding that. But when it comes to to Christian inspiration, and you say where does the author end? In a lot of ways, I, I consider it's a partnership. It's I don't know if you can say well this much is the Holy Spirit and this much is the human author. I, I really see this as both. Uh, the Holy Spirit, and the author, the, the human who's writing the scriptures, being in concert, being working together. I, I mentioned this passage last time. Let me see if I can find it here real quickly. This is Second um, uh, Peter chapter 1, which is my favorite passage on inspiration. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 20, uh, it says this, Above all, Peter writes, You must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man or human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So I like that image of kind of being carried along. It's the idea that the Spirit was guiding, if you will, was carrying them, was supporting them, was giving them what was necessary as they wrote. Now, you might say, why is this even important? You know, uh, last time we talked, we talked about the fact that the Bible's written over a period of time, and there are are 40-some different authors of Scripture, if you look at both Old and New Testament. And that's kind of the traditional understanding of of these these, uh, authors. And we can see a variation in style, for example, or words. I spend a lot of time in the Gospel of John. You know that. John is kind of the area of the Bible that I— know the most about. And when you read the Gospel of John, especially when you read it in Greek, you can tell a difference in the language and the style than when you read the Apostle Paul in Greek. They're both writing in, in these anci- this ancient language about the same period of time. But you can tell a difference. And you can even tell a difference between Peter, like this this letter that I've been quoting of Second Peter, and Paul when you compare them. And, and so It's clear that the human authors had a certain amount of uh, input. Their experience, they used their experience. I I mentioned this just briefly last time, that Paul was trained in rhetoric. You mentioned the importance of understanding rhetoric. And there are specific examples where we see Paul, for example, quoting some of the ancient rhetoricians, rhetorical writers. We see him using some of these rhetorical forms very specifically that other ancient authors used. So he's using his own experience. He's using his own culture and his own time and his own language. Uh, I, I think when he wrote a letter, the language itself would be indistinguishable from any other writing that he may have done. Here's the difference. It's when we're talking about the, the letters that Paul wrote that are now Scripture— the Holy Spirit was engaged in that process. So it, it's a lot like, I think, the way that God uses people today in some ways, if you think about it, because there are things that we do. We may have certain skills. We, we may have certain abilities. And, and we could do those things on our own because of things because of our experience and things we've learned and things that we've trained ourselves in. But there's something different when when God uses those abilities in us as we begin to serve other people. I, I would call it more similar to that. Uh, now, it, it's a little bit—it's a little bit more profound than that. I think it's not simply uh, that they're using their ability as writers, but I think the Holy Spirit is guiding them and carrying them in the same way that when you know, let's say, if we were doing something simple, right? We had an ice storm here a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, there's churches that are going out and helping others by cutting limbs and and cleaning up their yards and that kind of thing. And, and it, you've been involved in in work projects like that, Ryan, and 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 before we do that, we might pray, you know, God empower us and help us to do this to your glory, you know, so that you're the one who receives glory out of this. So I think in in a similar kind of way, again, a little bit more profound, the Holy Spirit of God acted I don't know if I could tell you exactly how, but acted upon the authors of Scripture so that as they were writing, what they were writing is being is being guided so that it was actually the Word of God, so that the Word of God is what's being produced in this partnership. I would say, what, to me, one of the amazing things about Christianity, e- e- even in comparison to some other world religions, Christianity very much has at its heart— this idea of a partnership between the creator God and his creation, uh, that God, even today in the church, uses his people to accomplish his purpose. Now, why he does that, I don't know. That to me is a divine mystery why he mm-hmm. would use a bunch of screw ups like us, right? Absolutely, but, yes. But he He does. And I think it's the same with, with writing scripture what we're really talking about with all of this Ryan is how how does god communicate himself to us how did god choose to communicate himself to us and how do we hear from god how do we hear what he's saying and and for whatever reason god chose to reveal himself to us through other people even not in terms of writing but if you think about jesus for example as we, we you know he is the divine word he is god become flesh God, for whatever reason, chose to send his son in human likeness to live among us and to teach us and to demonstrate his character. The author of Hebrews, at the very beginning of his book, says that basically the highest revelation that God gave was in his son. Uh, Hebrews chapter one starts uh, verse one In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. And here's the big thing, verse three: the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. So, this is the idea that the ultimate revelation of God is is in this person. Not a very specific person, but in the person of Jesus. So, God has always chosen to reveal Himself through through people, whether it was David. If you think about the Psalms, Moses. If you're thinking about the the law, God chose to use people as a means of His communication to, to others. Prophets. If you think about Isaiah or Elijah or whomever, yeah. And so, and so that, does that help? Or yeah, that,
0: absolutely. And, you know, it's in juxtaposition maybe to like Mormon theology, where there are golden plates that were found, no, and I, like it's God's that was God there in their perspective. That's God's word on He wrote it down. That's exactly right. what it is. But this is. This inspiration is coming through. And so there's there's not an end of the man. It's, it's a, right. a partnership with the man and the Holy Spirit. And so that there is there is a voice of yeah. the writer, but it is the voice of God through the writer.
1: I think that's right. It, it, it's kind of like what we say about Jesus. You know, we you've, you've heard this phrase, fully God and fully man. And maybe that's something we'll talk about down the road sometime. But, yes. you know, it, it's not that Jesus is half God and half man, right? Mm-hmm. He, he is fully divine, fully human. And I think in a similar way, he's of course the living word of God. I think the written word of God is similar in that, you know, it's not half human, half divine. I think it is a divinely inspired human author. (laughs) Right. Right. So it's a fully human communication. And I'll go ahead and tell you my suspicion of why God chooses to do that. And I don't know, this is just me speculating right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But but we are able to communicate with one another that we're we're part of the same people right we have similar you know foibles and similar hopes and dreams and aspirations both the good things about us and the bad so we communicate with one another right uh, and so i think that that's why god chose to communicate through humans because we can understand and ultimately i think that's why I mean, partly, there's lots of reasons, but I think that's partly why it was so essential that Jesus became human and lived among us because, you know, he could, well, the Hebrew writer says this as well. He could understand, he 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 was tempted in every way as we are, uh, and yet without sin. So, so he is, um, you know, he, he's able to make us the same. And so we can understand and, and we can hear that in a, in a different kind of way. I don't know if that makes sense or not, yeah, but
0: ab- absolutely. No, it makes perfect sense. And, and going off that idea, my, that kind of going into my next question here is, you know, if we, God has used as an inspired his authors, you know, we have the prophets, David, the authors in the New Testament, Paul, uh, whoever wrote Hebrews. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but so is, since this is the the word of God, is it enough by itself to understand it? So if, if this is all the word of God and this is what he gave to us, and th- th- where I'm going with this is we talk about sola scripture. Is that enough? And so like, if this is the word of God and the word of God is transcendent, is Mm -hmm. how do we understand it? Is it enough just to say like, I'm reading this and I only read it in the context of the Bible around it? Or is there some, and I think we talked a little bit about this the first week, but like understanding it in its original context, or is there something about the inspiration that transcends the original context of when it was inspired. I don't know if that's well, I would say it
1: sense. Transcends, it transcends the original context in that it is the word of God. It is, it, you know, and he he obviously is transcendent, but it was written and God chose, again, this is what God chose to do. He chose to reveal himself in a particular time. Uh, so, for example, and you know, we, we don't think about this a lot. Some, some people maybe think about it more than others, but when we read, most of us, when we read the Bible are reading a, a translation. The Bible was originally given, for example, in a Greek language in the New Testament, a little bit Aramaic. I mentioned this last week or last time we talked, I think, uh, Hebrew for the Old Testament. So, just that language, just the fact that you're talking about a different language, is a little bit different and requires us uh, to think about what how translation works. If you've ever studied a foreign language you know that translation is never one for one and and so it requires a little bit of a more study in that. This took place in an ancient culture and I think that the more we can put ourselves uh, into the practices and customs of that culture the better we can understand. I think there's some there's some things. I'll, I'll just give you a quick example there. I don't think we understand how much we have become surrounded by both noise and light. In, in our culture, you know, uh, unless you're maybe listening to this in a tent in Montana someplace, uh, we we tend to have very noisy things. So you get these references, I'll give you an example, of the book of Revelation where it talks about he had a voice that was like the sound of many rushing waters. And, and if you think about the ancient world, before combustion engines, before dynamite, before amplified sound, you know, mm-hmm. before everybody had headphones on and that kind of thing, earbuds, the loudest kind of things you would hear would maybe be a waterfall or thunder, mm. right? Right. And these these are the ways that he describes some of these sounds because that's the loudest. That's the loudest things that he would have been familiar with. It kind of makes me want, wish I would live then. You know, <laughs> but but I mean, we you know we we. Very seldom don't hear noise around us. I went on a camping trip several years ago, where in a place where there weren't motorboats allowed, and there was it's a no-fly zone. So we went an entire week without hearing a motor, and it's it's a crazy how much we get accustomed to the, you know, the noise going around us all the time. Lights, another example. The we're used to TV screens and screens on our phone and. Uh, you know, nowadays, screens, as you drive down the, the center of town, there'll be a billboard that's illuminated and this kind of thing. And, um, you know, it wouldn't have been that way in the ancient world. At, at night, <laughs> you know, you would have seen it's the dark. stars. Right? It would it's have dark. It's dark. Yeah. Um, yeah, even, even if you think about uh, some of those references, uh, talking about the Word of God, Psalm 119 says that uh, your Word is a a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And, and most of us, only maybe for camping or something, are we in a situation where where we need that kind of illumination, even to know which direction we're going. But, you know, here's David and others who are writing the Psalms, who are out in the wilderness and dark, uh, and a lamp or a light would have been something they would have, a, a lantern would have been something they would have understood, a torch would have been something they would have known. So, yeah, as much as we can get ourselves into that custom and that culture, what does it mean to be a shepherd in that context? What does it mean to be a farmer? Uh, some of these kind of uh, thoughts and ideas. So we want to be students of Scripture, is what I would say. In our context, it requires us to do a little bit of thinking about ancient history and those those kind of things. But I often say God could have—you mentioned gold tablets—God could have revealed Himself in that way, or He could have you know carved his word on a mountain in letters 40 feet high if he'd wanted to and that's mm-hmm. not how he did it he he chose uh, to use human authors in a very particular time and, and even people you know authors who had particular backgrounds like david who was raised as a shepherd uh and, and then and then became a king right ended up in the palace um mm-hmm. uh, and you have other people you you think about prophets who mentioned that they're shepherds you think about you know Paul and his background what he seems to have done he he you know, at least when he's in corinth he he helps make tents and uh, you know maybe his family had a skill in that you, you think about these kind of cultural differences you know the the scriptures were not written by software engineers uh, they were they were written by by people who had these different kinds of occupations and different kinds of concerns in their day-to-day life fishermen, you know, there's fishermen that were very important in Jesus uh, disciples. And I think understanding something about the sea of Galilee, uh, Bethsaida, where they lived uh, Capernaum, where Peter ended up uh, understanding things about the geography, understanding things about the, what, what, um, the The process of fishing was like I think informs helps us uh, be informed about scripture.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, your your the lamp references yeah. kind of reminds me. You know, I was in Israel in 2013, yeah. and you know, you think you're going to have this overwhelming experience as you visit these sites of particular things, and you're like, oh, I got to pass the gift shop and <laughs> and right. 50 charter buses to get right. there, and it's like, um even Israel has changed to sure. modern times and like it's just understanding like we have to put ourselves in there. Even if you visit the site where supported these things happen, right. um, you you it's hard to in our modern, again, I think we talked about the veil of time last time of like understanding scripture through the veil of time. So anyway, that a was lot just of times
1: the church has been built there, or whatever. I'll yes. tell you that it was interesting, Ryan. Since you mentioned that, I'll take you. Let's go sometime, and we'll we'll do the way I did it the first time. Uh, a friend of mine and a guy who's a really good guide. Uh, we went on the Jesus Trail, uh-huh. and so we we hiked, we walked, and so again, you're right. I mean, a lot of these traditional sites where Jesus fed the five thousand or you know where we believe the sermon on the mount may have been you know these kind of things there's been a lot built up there but when you're out hiking through the olive groves and and on those kind of trails it's kind of cool and you do get a sense of that uh, one of the coolest experiences we had the first time I was there I mentioned shepherds and there was a guy who was sh- you know herding sheep as as we were going and uh, you know again he he was in modern clothes he wasn't in uh, you know in, in what we you know, and the Christmas uh, plays that we put on, it's not what we dress the shepherds up as, but, and he had a cell phone that he was, you know, listening to something on and that kind of thing. But it was interesting because, you know, as we were passing, we were trying to keep from disturbing and, and he just kind of called his sheep over and they listened to his voice as, as uh, Jesus talks about. And there, there still are some similarities there. You know, the olive groves and, and those kind of things are, are similar. They're similar kinds of things that we we have there i think that there's an example visiting the holy land can can help give insight into particular parts of the story i think sometime uh, when we understand um, did you up, did you go up on the uh, uh, mount uh, i want to say arbella did you go up up there i don't um, i i don't remember i was working you got to get the north end of the sea of galilee there and you know the amazing thing to me is our guide kind of stretched out one arm And then the other arm, 90 degrees from that one and said, you know, most of the things that took place in the gospels took place within basically the site you can see from my left arm to my right arm from this this place. And it puts it in perspective. And especially when you're hiking and you're hiking, you know, maybe 10 miles a day, that kind of thing, you get a sense, okay, yeah, they walk from Nazareth to Capernaum, you know, they, they walk through all these villages in Galilee and it gives you a sense of what it would have been like. Uh, a lot of these things took place very, very close to one another. It wasn't like it happened, you know, 50 miles away or whatever, and there was no news crew there to cover it. These are things that people would have seen and and would have been, you know, when it talks about the news about him spread throughout the region, you kind of get a sense of how that would have taken place. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, getting back to our, that was great. Getting back to our regular <laughs> topic here, some riffing. We're just happy. It's just happening. We're here. Yeah, so talking about uh so we're talking about inspiration or the Bible again. So how do we know what we have today? I don't want to get conspiratorial and we I think we said right. angels and demons, but like right. in popular culture, we have like Da Vinci Code or some of the things sure. that popped up. How do we know what we have is what was inspired right. to them? Like that there wasn't something along the lines like,
1: hey, that doesn't
0: fit. Let's yeah. just a little tweak and it gets lost in memory. Sure. I
1: think I think this is one part that a lot of people have, have difficulty understanding, I, I should say difficulty, but uh, it sometimes is talked about in a, in a different kind of way. Uh, I know there's a couple of authors out there. I think Bart Ehrman is one example where he looks at the, the differences that we have in some of our manuscripts. And from that, he draws the conclusion that we therefore cannot trust what we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, th- now that's not exactly the way that I would understand these things working. We do have variation in in manuscripts that we have. Let me talk about two different things. Let me talk about the Old Testament first, Ryan. Okay. Um, most people are really surprised when they find out that until the 1950s, you know, the last millennium. You remember the 1950s? Oh, well, I guess you, don't, you don't remember them? But. Those are those are great years. <laughs> But until the 1950s, the earliest copies that we had of the Hebrew Bible in in Hebrew, the earliest copies we had were from the 10th or 11th century. And, and most people didn't realize that. The, re, the reason is when um, the Hebrew Bible was copied, it was copied incredibly carefully and then old copies were destroyed. So uh, and, and basically the reason was because of how what a high regard the community of people who transmitted the scriptures had for the word of God, because if it got smudged or if it could, if the letters could be misread, they, they wanted to make a fresh copy. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, so that there was no mistaking because this, they, they held, this is the word of God. So they were very careful in copying. And we'd always suspected that because of this, you know, we could trust the old Testament that it had been transmitted very, very well. Now here's the crazy thing in 19, the 1950s, speaking of shepherds, uh, some some Bedouins, a shepherd community.
0: Found a cave. Uh,
1: huh? Found, found, a a cave, ca- right? found a cave, Found uh, a cave. In an area we call Qumran near the Dead Sea. And and you've heard the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, one of the crazy things is that we have found copies, early, early copies from before AD D seventy. So we moved back by almost a thousand years, the earliest copies that we, we had of the Hebrew uh, Bible, and we've, we found copies of scrolls there of almost um, every book in the Old Testament, and in fact, several copies of most of the books of the Old Testament. A- and what we have found is exactly what we always thought, that they were so careful in copying these that even over thousands of years, there had been very, very little change. Uh, and that's really, there's a couple of places where there were maybe a, a letter or two different, uh, ones in the book of Isaiah, for example, I, if I, if I think of it another time, we can, we can look at some examples of that, but the old Testament was very, very carefully copied. I, I mentioned last time when we talked about the Bible, that the old Testament, the story w- is that it was kind of handed down within the community. You had the priest and and other leaders who were taking part of that. Now the story for the new Testament is a little bit different, because the story for the new testament is these writings came about when you compare them to the old testament relatively quickly and the, because of the situation Christians were very intent on making copies and distributing them as widely as possible because Christianity was a movement that was that was going throughout the the Roman empire it wasn't at that time, just
0: right? located to israel it wasn't just to the jews
1: right it's being spread it it's going out to at that time what's called the whole known world you know from spain all the way to the to to india and and so they're they're making copies and distributing them very quickly now what that means is that there are some variations that creep in where what we call scribes in other words people who would make these copies there are places where they would maybe either mistake a word or you've, you've copied things in the, in the, in the past, Ryan, you know, sometimes when you're copying, let's say a grocery list from one place to another, you might sometimes repeat the same word twice, or you might, uh, you might do some, some different things like that. What ends up happening is some of these variations we find, you know, are, are there in, in the scriptures and those, those uh, as copies are made of copies, those stay in. Now, here's here's the thing i want you to understand though regarding this is there there are two things that give us a great deal of confidence that what we look at in the new testament is the word of god as well and the, the first is we have so many copies we have over 5000 manuscripts of at least parts of the new testament available to us today and that number's increasing all the time i haven't looked lately there's a there's a person who tracks that uh, very specifically but uh, over 5,000 manuscripts of at least part of the New Testament. And the other thing is we understand these scribal mistakes or these scribal errors better now than we ever have. Uh, And and what I mean is we can look at some of these texts, and when we see a difference, we can say, okay, I can understand how a a scribe would have made this mistake where they would have, for example, there, there are clear examples where we have the same word twice. Uh, or there's other times. Have you ever done this, Ryan, when you look at a word and maybe this word ends with an E and then there's another word after it and then the word after it ends with an E and you'll, your I will go from that first E to the second E yep. and you leave, leave out those two words. There's an omission in that case. So that's an example where clearly we we can understand. So as you begin to put together all of these manuscripts and you begin to look at the way that scribes, and I'm kind of simplifying all this, but look at the, the there's some very specific ways that scribes made mistakes. We can reconstruct what we would say is the original manuscript, the the best and the closest to the original manuscript that we have available to us. And the variations that we have within that are relatively minor compared to uh, you know the things that we can we can have confidence in. Now there's a couple of really big ones um, that people tend to note. Uh, we've talked about this before, Ryan, the end of Mark uh, the gospel of Mark Mark chapter 16 from verse uh, nine and on yep uh, is one that that people point to uh, Gospel of John the the most the first part of uh, John chapter eight and the last verse in John chapter seven. Uh, is is seen as kind of a variation, and there we have to ask a question: Why would these things have been either inserted, or why would they have been taken out? But again, you know, Bart Ehrman makes a big deal out of those differences. He tends to say, "You said we're not going to get into conspiracy theory or anything, but, but yeah. you know, it almost is that there's this kind of there, there's some kind of conspiracy going on, and these things were taken out for a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. But I really think it has much more to do with you know, these human beings who were copying, faithfully copying scripture, but there are times where where they uh, either thought something was missing or, or you know, they, something needed to be there that wasn't there. And so a few examples we have like this, uh, but it's not, we're not talking about, you know, a great number of things. And most of them are not central to our faith. I, in fact, I would say there's nothing that we can't, still understand the gospel we we still can understand what what god has told us um you know even when there are sometimes these variations but that's that's where those variations come from
0: yeah if you're in your bible at least in my, i have a study bible here that it'll it'll, it'll notate like this is right. not in the earliest mss and that's manuscripts right that that right um that th- th- what uh this section is not in there mine's got a line at the top and the bottom so there. It's not like someone's intentionally trying to hide something from right. you in this. It's just basically outlining like this is in some that are in later There's, manuscripts, but the, right. but the early manuscripts that it's um, that it's in there. And so, but and, you know, as you said, like they're not major passages that would that change the whole structure of everything right. that's gone before it. It's and
1: it's an addendum or, or something like that. So, right, that's exactly right. And and I say the reason we have these kind of major ones. Is very early on. Many people can remember when the King James version was the was the dominant translation, or at least, I guess, I guess I'm getting older. I can still remember when that's the case. It still isn't. Um, <laughs> but uh, the text that the King James version was translated from it's a Greek text. A- at that time, it was it was put together by a guy in the in the 15th century whose name was Desiderius Erasmus. He, he only had available to him uh, a handful of manuscripts. You I said, we have over 5,000 available. Mm-hmm. He had nine. And, it's... and so what he did is he, he did the, he did the best he could with what he, and really people to that point uh, were using the Latin translations. And so they, they a had Vulgate. not been interested in the original uh, languages. And so Desiderius Erasmus, we yeah. owe him this. He became very interested in, and let's let's find out these Greek and and when he began to compare his manuscripts, he saw that there were some differences. So he put together uh, a text based on the nine that he had available to him, and we call it the majority text because basically what he did is he if there was a variation, he'd simply count, and if if there were five of this variation, and there were four of this one. He would go with the one where there's five. Uh, Like I said, we understand much better now what's called the science of textual criticism. We understand how those things work. So I have a great deal of confidence that we have the Word of God available to us.
0: You know, and it's marked in our Bible that there is some variation in some of those that we can still place our confidence in that, that what we have is what God intended for us to have, that His his Word has continued in the way you know, even as we look at it from a a very uh, time oriented manuscript, Old Testament, New Testament, that uh, what we have is very original and and it is what was intended.
1: I'll say I mentioned Bart Ehrman. I should mention this other guy. I was I was talking about earlier. His name's Dan Wallace, uh, and Dan Wallace has dedicated his life really to to the study of the text of the New Testament, and. Uh, you know, he, he's got a website, he's got uh, books that are available. Uh, if you have a question regarding this, where he really, he lays this out in much more detail than what I, what I am.
0: Yeah. Well, we can't, we can't cover everything in 30 in 40 minutes. We're trying, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot to it. So why is this so important for us to establish this on the front side? Why is this core perspective so important for everything else that we could talk about or, or going forward?
1: Well, I, I, I think because, you know, for many Christians, the Bible is is our guide. And and so if we're going to say that this is, this is the Word of God, we want to make sure that we understand, you know, what He has inspired, uh, what the Holy Spirit uh, ha- has inspired. Let, let me give you just one kind of example of a counterpoint. Most of us know that the scripture for the religion of Islam is the Quran. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit similar to what you mentioned with Mormonism earlier, in that the Quran is understood to have been given directly to Muhammad, one author, by the angel Gabriel, direct from from Allah, from from God. Mm-hmm. Is that through the angel Gabriel, Muhammad was given the the very words of the Quran. And so, an interesting thing about about that, if you if you know people who are who are Muslim. The, the Quran was originally given in Arabic, and what's important for them is understanding the, the Quran in its original language. Uh, so, for example, people who maybe weren't even raised within an Arabic culture will many times learn Arabic so that they can read the Quran, because they would understand a translation not to really be the Quran at all, because they understand that these were words that were dictated to, to Muhammad by God. Uh, whereas you know, when when we talk about inspiration as kind of being this cooperation between human authors and the Holy Spirit, you know, we're we're kind of have more this this picture, this image that that this is a a work of of God in, in the lives of His people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we understand, you know, we try to understand the history, we try to understand the language, uh, but we read when when you know when we read a translation, we don't say, oh, this isn't really the Bible. We say this is. This is the Word of God, but we understand that it's been transmitted to us in this particular way. For me, I think the more we understand the way it's been transmitted, the more it helps us uh, kind of understand uh, certain nuances about it. Some people get very troubled when they get this idea of of, um, what we just talked about, this idea that there are scribal uh, errors in Scripture— that's not to say that the, that, that God's word has errors in it though, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk about inspiration, what we're talking about, it, it, what we believe are inspired are those, are those original writings. You know, when Paul put his pen to paper, when, uh, when Matthew sat down to write his gospel, you know, what he is writing is the word of God. Um, what, what, as the Holy spirit operates upon him, uh, Isaiah, you know, that, that's what we believe to be, uh, the inspired word of God. And. We have been given the ability to, as much as possible, uh, understand and uh, see what that original, what that original writing was. Uh, but I think it's important for that reason. I mean, we we hi, we hold the Word of God in high regard as our uh, as our rule of practice and faith is the way that we sometimes will will put it. Not only what we believe, but also what we do. And I guess here's the other thing. I, I keep saying it this way, and I hope you're catching this. God chose to reveal himself to us in this way. He chose to communicate in this way. You know, we, we, we're we not the ones who get to dictate uh, the way that God speaks to us, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so because he has spoken to us in this way, uh, we want to be equal to that task uh, of understanding it, of hearing it. You know, if it's important, you're in a relationship, Ryan, you're, you've been married and you understand how important communication is. Uh, but you understand communication is a two-way street too, right? There, there has to be someone who's listening, and, and so I think we put ourselves in a position where we're where we're hearing God's word also, you know. And, that, and that's why it's important, you know, not just to own a Bible, right? It's not it's not just a talisman, uh, but we actually open it up and we we read it and we use it. So. What I
0: do is I just lay it on my head like osmosis, and it just just comes in, just pours in. That's how it works, right?
1: Yeah, right. It's amazing. It's amazing how much we have available to us today, though, even compared to when, you know, I'm, I'm going to make myself sound ancient, but, you know, I, I, I had a Bible and of course I have several Bibles, even as I went through college and those kind of things. But now we have available to us electronically, especially if you're an English reader, you have, you know, literally dozens of translations that are available to you, you know, for free. There are uh, resources, many of them have, that help uh, to understand some of these textual issues that we've been talking about. There are commentaries. There are other things that are out there surrounding that. Um, you can look at the original, on, again, online for free. You can look at the, the texts uh, that are available of these things. Uh, there's just a lot available to us. I, I mentioned when I used to teach class, I would talk about, you know, I, I would have students read large sections of Scripture and, and I would always say, listening is uh, is completely acceptable. There there are audio versions uh, of the Bible that are available free for download as well. Sometimes listening to to, to the Bible, you pick up things you don't necessarily do other ways. We have not this isn't a question you ask, Ryan, but. Uh, it, we, we believe in the early church. This is how it was primarily done in, in both the synagogue. Uh, in Luke, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus visits the synagogue in Nazareth early on. I think it's chapter five. I can't remember exactly the chapter. And he's given the scroll of Isaiah to read. And you might remember it says yep. that he opens to the place where it is said. And yep. he reads Isaiah 61. And he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And, and so that's a part of that practice of the synagogue that then the early church seems to have taken on as well. So I mentioned last time we talked about the Bible, Paul would send these letters, probably send somebody to carry them who would then read it, you know, so probably, you know, and we read maybe four verses, right? And then we hear a sermon on it. I think a lot of times they would have heard the whole book read together. And uh, then someone would have explained more fully anything that people had questions on. So this idea of hearing it, sometimes we'll, we'll get some, some things across. I think the first time that was driven home to me, I had a friend who memorized the entire Sermon on the Mount and uh, he would, he would from time to time, you know, quote, unquote, I'll say, perform that. He would, he would go out and he would, you know, do the Sermon on the Mount from beginning to end. And you began to realize how that fit together and how that would have been heard by the original hearers as Jesus said those words And, uh, so I think there's something to be said for listening, but we, we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to, uh, to the Bible being available for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And and that's great, you know, but we got to use it right absolutely that's that's the most important thing is we yeah need to allow it to, to have a place in our lives we, we don't we don't
0: have a we don't have a work of fiction sitting on the shelf we have the word right. of god yeah I revelation so. to us yeah. so well brian thanks so much for uh sharing with us and uh we'll uh we'll come back again i'll have some more questions and we'll talk about all kinds of <laughs> right. fun things
1: thank you i appreciate that yeah
0: take care Well, thanks so much for joining us for this episode. We hope you found it interesting. In next week's episode, Brian and I talk about John chapter 14 and how, like we just discussed, cultural context plays a role in understanding scripture and what God is speaking to us through the writers. Trust me, you don't want to miss that episode. However, before then, because we know you just can't wait to hear our voices again, we're going to be releasing a bonus episode this Thursday As Brian and I discuss a Gallup poll that you may have seen that was just recently released that shows that less than 50% of the U.S. now affiliates themselves with either a church, synagogue, or mosque. We talk about those numbers, some other data from a book called The Nuns, written by Ryan Burge. That is nuns as in N-O-N-E-S and not N-U-N-S. Uh, which is a reference to those who claim no affiliation to any major church or religion, and what all this information and data means for the church today. There is plenty of nuance to the issue and a lot to chew on, and we hope that you will join us for that. If you haven't been there yet, you can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com. You can also find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. While this is only our second full episode, if you are enjoying the podcast, please share it with others and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The more reviews we get, the more likely others will be able to find us through searching. So again, this Thursday is the episode about the Gallup poll. And on Tuesday, we will have the episode concerning John chapter 14. Talk to you soon.